Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, five months after it ended, how do we grade the impact of the Paycheck Protection Program? And what now for the millions of small businesses left to struggle for survival on their own? Also this morning, winter doesn't officially arrive until the week before Christmas, but winter weather will likely be here before then. Now that November is here, it's time to start preparing for the seasonal adventure of snow and ice and more. And we love our veterans. We have details on the Flag City Honor Flight 10 plus 1 celebration and Chamberlain Hill School's annual Veterans Day tribute. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, November 1st, 2021. So now that the cooler temperature uh, has arrived, we can definitively say, thanks to research, that your dad was right. When the cool weather hits, rather than turning up the heat in your house, just put on a sweater, daggummit. <laughs> That's what dad always said. Keep your fingers off of the thermostat. Just go put on a sweater. Well, according to research... Putting on a light sweater indoors can make you feel like the temperature is nearly 15 degrees warmer. So just a light sweater and make you feel 15 degrees warmer. A thick wool sweater can have an even greater effect, making a 50 degree room feel like it's 68 degrees. So an 18 degree difference, the heavier the sweater, uh, the warmer you get. I know we had to have research on this. Bears out exactly what your dad used to say. Put on a sweater. Don't touch that thermostat. Have you turned on your heat yet? Um, I know that there are people have very strange rituals surrounding turning on the heat in their home for the first time. I know some people don't do it until the first of November. There, it could be twelve degrees outside. There could be six inches of snow on the ground at Halloween, and yet <laughs> they'll be sitting in the house freezing because, by golly, I'm not turning on the heat until the 1st of November. Uh, for others, I know some people, it's like the first frost. And my goodness, it can get awful chilly before you get the first frost. So that's the threshold for a lot of people. For me, here's my theory on the on the subject i turn on the heat when i get cold (laughs) i don't know about everybody else but i call me crazy but when i get cold when it gets cold in the house i turn up the heat but uh, i know there are some people that uh, are very adamant about that anyway uh that pumpkin spice latte that you are having this morning may help you to stave off seasonal depression it's another thing that happens this time of year, especially after we get past the time change when it starts getting dark at 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, a study conducted by the Institute for Scientific Information on Coffee. <laughs> yes, there is an Institute for Scientific Information on Coffee. And they found that drinking coffee every four hours helps to improve seasonal affective disorder or SAD. The finding also uh, indicated that regular coffee intake could increase alertness and improve cognitive behaviors. So, that is good news to start off your Monday morning. And Cup of Joe is uh, 
good for preventing depression, apparently. Uh, so yesterday was uh, Halloween, trick-or-treat on Saturday. Uh, did you have a, a good Halloween? Did you have a, a fun season? Halloween's not necessarily, I got I to gotta admit, it's not necessarily my favorite holiday. Uh, for a lot of people, it is. I, I know a lot of people really get into a Halloween, and that's great. Uh, this I saw on the Newswire, which I thought was very interesting, is a postscript to Halloween. A recent analysis finds that the worst place to be in the United States if there is ever a zombie apocalypse would be New York City. The worst place. Well, actually, not so much New York City, but New York State in general. Because I broke it down state by state. New York, the worst place to be if there's ever a zombie apocalypse. Um, According according to this uh, research... New York has 12.7 million bodies buried in the state's 9,370 cemeteries. So 12.7 million undead walking the streets. You can see why New York is the worst place to be in the U.S. By contrast, the best place to be in the event of a zombie apocalypse in the United States, Alaska they have the fewest bodies available to rise from the dead. So Alaska would be, uh, would be number one. Uh, the other safest states to be would be Wyoming, Nevada, Hawaii, and Delaware. Those would be the best places to be in the event of a zombie apocalypse. So as a follow-up to Halloween, just wanted to point that out. You're welcome. New research suggests, talk about things, first things you need to know this morning. New research suggests that married couples who meet online are six times more likely to divorce within three years than those who meet through more traditional methods. A report from the Marriage Foundation says that 12% of couples who meet over the internet don't make it to their third anniversary compared to just 2% who meet through family or friends. According to the research, those who meet online are at a higher risk of divorce because they still could be relative strangers when they get married. So that sounds to me like not so much an indictment of online dating or online matchmaking as it does people just rushing into uh, things. Maybe because... They feel like they met online, so they must be the perfect match, yada, yada, yada. They wouldn't have been paired to this person if they weren't compatible. And maybe you skip over that whole ritual. But anyway, I don't know that it is necessarily a direct indictment of online dating, but it's interesting. And that's what we do to start off the morning, find the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. Here is something that certainly falls into that category. The city of Philadelphia is set to stop having police pull cars over for minor traffic violations. It'll be the first major U.S. city to enact such a policy. The legislation is meant to permit traffic stops only when when required for public safety. It was passed last month, expected to be signed into law by Mayor Jim Kenney this week. So minor violations like uh, expired license plates, 
or in Philadelphia, and I don't know about the rest of Pennsylvania, but I know in Philadelphia they need emissions test stickers, validation stickers on the car. And if that's not visible, that would be a violation. But they're not going to pull you over for things like that anymore. Uh, you may still get a ticket or at least a warning in the mail, but uh, you won't be pulled over for that. City Councilman Isaiah Thomas, who wrote the legislation, said that such traffic stops disproportionately affect minorities. Part of the motivation for the measure was that these kinds of minor stops can escalate very quickly and could end up in violent confrontations, and that's what they're trying to avoid. Uh, Councilman Thomas hopes that getting rid of those stops will make both the public and police feel safer. I don't know. Maybe it's a... uh, It it seems to me, though, um, if you are going to mail someone a ticket, then you've got to be close enough to get their uh, license number, license plate number, and and all of that. Um, And people tend to get nervous when the police are following them and they might do something that would result in a traffic violation they could get pulled over for. So I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see how uh, many uh, fewer stops there are. Uh, there actually are. And by the way, speaking of driving, how about this? If you are older than Generation Z, then you are probably driving wrong. For decades, drivers have been taught to keep both hands on the wheel at 10 and 2. I remember when I went through driver's ed back in the day, many, many years ago, that was the thing, 10 and 2. Two hands on the wheel, 10 and 2, all the time. Right? Wrong. Wrong. That advice predates the airbag. And according to experts, holding your hands at those positions can result in broken arms if there's ever an accident that deploys the airbag. Instead, they say modern drivers should hold the wheel at 9 and 3. Instead, that is the safest way to hold the drivers, uh, to hold the steering wheel. And not only that, uh, you should turn the wheel by shuffling your hands in alternation so that your arm never gets in front of the steering column. So, sort of like, um, uh, you know, pulling a pulling a rope, or is it, you, so you move your hands alternately instead of crossing over your hands when you're making a turn. And that's another thing we were taught in driver's ed: you make the turn, you cross over your your one hand over the other, and so on. But you're putting your arms in front of the airbag, and if there's ever an air, sudden airbag deployment can break your arms. So now you know. How about that? I've been driving wrong all this time. All of this time, my uh, car has uh, airbags. For as long as my car has had airbags, I'm driving wrong. Now you know. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demcheck. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly sunny today with a high of 51, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 35. The Fostoria Police Division is urging parents to check their kids' trick-or-treat candy after a disturbing incident in the city. Police say a sewing needle was found sticking in a candy bar that a child received while trick-or-treating on Saturday. Police say the needle was located by an observant child.
who said they received it while trick-or-treating in the area of North Union Summit and Rock Streets in Fostoria. Police are reminding parents to always check their kids' candy for any irregularities before allowing them to eat it. Sunrise Senior Living in Findlay held a walk-around Halloween parade for residents who have been unable to have visitors because of the pandemic. Everybody went just window to window in their costumes, and we saw lots of smiles and waves and blown kisses at us. So staff and residents, families alike, all had a really great time. Typically, Sunrise has kids and families in for a trick-or-treat, but they couldn't do that for the last two years because of the pandemic. The parent company of Cedar Point has reached a $100 million 20-year public investment deal with the city of Sandusky, and ticket prices will be going up. The city's agreement with Cedar Fair includes a new causeway and water taxi on Lake Erie. These and other improvements will be funded by tax increases on park guests. Cedar Point also agreed to maintain a corporate presence in Sandusky, although it's unclear whether that includes company headquarters. Next year, Sandusky will double its admissions tax to 8%, or about $2 more per $50 ticket, and an 8% parking tax will also go into effect. Dave James, I went in news. He's only a freshman, but Finley Trojans quarterback Ryan Montgomery has received yet another offer to play college football. Ryan says he's humbled and blessed to have received an offer from Ohio State to play football for the Buckeyes. Ryan has also received offers from Notre Dame, Michigan, and others. Ryan led the Trojans to a playoff win over Miamisburg at Donnell Stadium on Friday night. And Finley will host Dublin Kaufman on Friday night in the regional quarterfinals. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, even though the Paycheck Protection Program concluded back at the end of May, you remember, uh, many local business owners uh, are, are now still struggling and are on their own on this road to economic recovery. Continuing to be challenged by new COVID surges, supply chain issues, labor shortages, just to name a few. Joining us this morning to share recent research findings on the Paycheck Protection Program's impact and where these small business owners go from here are Amber Jaycox, Vice President of Data Science at Dun & Bradstreet, and Amber Colley, Senior Director of Sales Enablement and Small Business Advocate at Dun & Bradstreet. It's the Amber & Amber Show uh, this morning. Ladies, thanks very much for taking the time. First off, Let's jump right into a what ha, what is the the paycheck protection program demonstrated um, about the types of support and the length of financial support that small businesses need. In other words, was this a success? Did it end too soon? What's the final analysis on this? Yeah, great question, Chris. So, just in summary, the payment payment protection program actually provided nearly twelve million loans to businesses. Sometimes this helped them stay afloat during an unprecedented time, and we do understand that the impacts vary across industries. However, Dun & Bradstreet's research does find that for those businesses that did receive a loan, they were less likely relative to their peers of a similar profile to be delinquent on payments to vendors and suppliers, which in turn tends to avoid bankruptcy. So two measures of financial health, delinquency and bankruptcy. And these effects for avoiding delinquency over time tended to be more pronounced for businesses in industries like retail, restaurants, and transportation. However, what we find is that the benefits from PPP appear to actually have peaked around the second month and stagnated thereafter. 
This leads us to hypothesize that perhaps multiple rounds of timely stimulus could be part of an overall solution for struggling businesses trying to regain health, in addition to them looking to develop business plans that really aim to achieve some long-term resilience. We mentioned some of the challenges that these small businesses continue to face uh, and are now sort of kind of left to their own devices. Obviously, the ones that have been in the news most often reflect the spread of the Delta variant, uh, the supply chain issues, labor shortages. Are there other challenges that play into this as well that maybe have gotten less attention but are also uh, providing headwinds for these businesses that are still trying to recover? Yeah, that's a really great point. So as you mentioned, COVID did create challenges for small businesses, and you've highlighted a series of these unexpected events that have further impacted the companies. As you said, the global supply chain bottlenecks, labor shortages, natural disasters, and the Delta variant. But what we find is that these events tend to really have a domino effect where the impact compounds. So if a company is trying to recover from one event and something else happens, they're less resilient and able to withstand that next event. So if we actually consider these events and the the challenges that the businesses are facing, the research that I mentioned previously on the government release is really relevant to understanding industry resilience and what we can do going forward. So it finds actually that the financial support really did help many of these small businesses weather this unexpected and challenging time, where on average for businesses across all industries and of all sizes, the aid really did increase the probability that, that that business could remain current on payments. And as I mentioned a little bit before, the timing of this release really matters. So if we talk about the retail industry or as well businesses that are on the smaller end with about 10 to 50 employees, they may have actually benefited from earlier or more timely aid to pay their bills and staff on time. But you also asked a little bit about some of these industries. And so despite all of these challenges, we are seeing professional financial and health services showing strong demand and other industries that are really foundational to creating business operations like utilities and energy and financial services, while impacted, are showing improved financial health. And overall, Dun & Bradstreet's measure of business health is really showing strong signs of small business recovery. However, with Delta, there could be, again, some ramifications on financial health, like a heightened risk of payment distress. So it sounds like uh, cautious optimism. We hear those words all the time, but it really does uh, apply in this case. So with all of that in mind, what then can we say to small business owners who are still in the throes of struggling for survival and, again, kind of on their own after all of the, the government funding and loans and so on, private capital, all of that has run out. What do you say to those businesses? This is Amber Colley, and our message to those business owners are do not give up hope. Any type of recovery program, whether it's natural disaster or economic recovery related, comes in stages, and there's a growing number of financial institutions and private lending options and additional government programs that may arise in the coming months. So, Plan ahead, have a sound business credit profile that may be key in obtaining access to additional funding, and then don't forget to tap all of the resources that are available to you, from state and federal loans and grants to getting help with understanding your business credit profile. Leverage these resources that will possibly give your business access to funding that can keep you afloat in the short term and help you grow in the future. 
are, are there any other uh, best practices that small businesses uh, need to consider as they apply for that additional funding? You mentioned uh, additional loans, grants, so on and so forth, uh, to put themselves in the best position to secure that funding? Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, create a business plan. It's, it's best to have a roadmap for how you're going to spend the funding before you actually receive it. And then focus on sustainability and growth. There will always be challenges as a small business owner. There will always be unexpected events that arise. So focus on the areas of your business that will allow you to stay agile and even grow in time. So for example, if you're a brick and mortar business, are there ways that you can invest in technology that allows you to capture the growing e-commerce market or ways that you can use data to spotlight on new growth opportunities or prospects? So ask yourself these types of questions to help plan for your future. And then lastly, measure your performance. So set goals ahead of starting any new venture. This will allow you to track your progress and then make sure your goals are actionable and measurable. And kind of building on uh, all of that, uh, as we look forward past this and, and kind of reflect on it, to navigate a new normal and you know what happens uh, in, in the future once we are past this. And again, for some businesses, they may be saying, hey, this is still a thing. I'm still struggling now, but at the risk of, of jumping too far ahead, uh, what then should the takeaway be moving forward? Because you, as you mentioned, there will always be challenges. There will always be unexpected events. So what should businesses take away from this uh, that will help them withstand, you know, those future challenges when when they happen. That's a great question, and I think what you highlight is that many small businesses are looking for near-term solutions to these challenges, but at the same time, they're really trying to balance the ability to mitigate the future risk of impact. And so, some general guidance that we have is that they can create this sustainable operation that allows them to be agile such that they can really withstand that unexpected event, but also saving for a rainy day or having that financial cushion and support so that if that unexpected event does occur, they're able to withstand it. And three, alluding to what Amber Colley mentioned earlier, identifying new business opportunities. This will help them position themselves for growth. Yeah. So not only uh, surviving uh, today, but also planning for tomorrow and and building for the future. Uh, Again, with us, uh, Amber Jaycox and Amber Colley from Dun & Bradstreet. We mentioned the research that you have done on all of this. Uh, Where can folks find more information about that? Small business owners and entrepreneurs can go to dnb.com, so like davidnancyboy.com, to learn more about how we can help you plan, launch, manage, and also grow your business. Ladies, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate the insight. Thank you for having me. Well, of course, each season brings its own set of weather-related hazards, and as we know, severe weather can happen at any time. Weather in general is becoming more volatile in recent years, so proper planning and timely information is crucial. And joining us this morning is AccuWeather Chief Meteorologist Jonathan Porter. And Jonathan, I can hear people saying, I don't want to think about winter weather yet. I'm not ready. And that's kind of the point. We need to be ready for what's coming. Chris, that's right. It's great to be with you. And yes, I'm afraid... Snow and ice and more cold is on the way. It hasn't felt like that at times of late here in the Toledo area, but uh, we are expecting that it will be a little bit colder than normal this upcoming uh, winter season with a little bit more snow, too, than last year. 
Great. Uh, so let's uh, first talk about the uh, usual suspects, the winter hazards that we expect, the snowstorms, the ice storms, and so on. Remind us what we need to be aware of in terms of preparing for those kinds of hazards. Well, that's a key point is to be thinking about uh, the preparation uh, for what you're going to need here for the upcoming winter season and staying informed. And that's one of the reasons that we've put so much focus on the tools that we provide within the AccuWeather mobile apps, which are free, a free download out of uh, the Apple uh, App Store or also Google Play on Android. You just search AccuWeather and make sure you turn on push notifications once you download our app. Again, it's a free app and uh, we purposely are focused on when the next threat for snow or ice or other dangerous weather is in, the, in your area. And uh, we make that information available in our day-by-day forecast. We also have a great feature called Wintercast within our app that allows you to see when's the next time that we're expecting snow or ice. We tell you how much snow or ice we're expecting. We allow you to see a really unique tool called the Snow Probabilities function, which allows you to see the range of possibilities of what may occur with the storm and also give you interactive maps so you can track the storm as it approaches. So snow and ice aren't far away. That's a great tool to have to be prepared uh, to anticipate what you're going to be dealing with uh, this upcoming winter. And, of course, like we said, lots of severe weather can happen any time of the year. We don't have blizzards in July, of course, but we can and do see tornadoes and floods and that sort of thing December, January, again, any month of the year. That's right. I think that's an important point that, as I say, sometimes Mother Nature doesn't necessarily abide by the calendar. And uh, sometimes we find that people are caught off guard if they don't have the right tools and they're not following the weather. For some of those kinds of severe weather, as you mentioned, high winds or flash flooding, sometimes even tornadoes that can occur when you might not expect it based on the calendar. And that's why downloading the AccuWeather app and uh, having those push notifications turned on so important because things can happen and develop very quickly and having that extra advance notice is really important to staying safe and having more time to bring yourself and people you love into shelter if needed during a severe weather event in your community. Yeah, we want to make sure that we highlight the the thing that uh, the, the fact that thankfully we have lots of advancements in weather prediction and communication uh, to keep us safe and the technology at our fingertips to give us those timely warnings and information. That's right. And here at AccuWeather, of course, AccuWeather has been around for 60 years now, but we've been always focused on developing new capabilities to help keep people safer and more informed. That's why we've been putting all of these new features and capabilities into the AccuWeather mobile app, the AccuWeather.com website. And I'm also excited to talk about our new product, AccuWeather Alerts, which complements and extends government warnings to provide more advanced notice when we can relative to severe weather. Again, we talked about how important it is. Extra time is really beneficial. That's a new service that we're rolling out in partnership with T-Mobile. T-Mobile users can access that through the T-Mobile Tuesday app for free as well and get the benefit of that extra advanced notice and extra information about how to prepare for major weather events that are upcoming in your community. And of course, 
We really should mention it's even more critical to be prepared since this year, many families are likely to be traveling again during the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on. Whereas many of us stayed at home last year, maybe we've forgotten how bad weather can not only throw a monkey wrench in our plans, but be downright dangerous for travelers. Good, good description. And I think uh, we probably have uh, forgotten about that in some ways, and more people are going to be out safely traveling as we head into the holiday season this upcoming year. So that's even more reason to stay up to date on what's happening from a weather perspective. Sometimes when people are traveling, they're rightly spending time with friends and family, and they're not necessarily as in tune with what's happening from a weather perspective. Plus, you might be traveling to a place where you're not as used to what kind of weather conditions can occur. So we always recommend people to download the AccuWeather app, put in those locations that you're going to be traveling to within the app. You can track it in advance of your trip, know what to expect, know what to pack from a clothing and and other preparations perspective, and also be aware of what type of severe weather may be coming or unusual weather may be coming because it may disrupt your travel plans. The more advanced notice you have about that, the better you can make your plans. And I know from being a business traveler, a routine traveler myself, that a little bit of planning can go a long way to helping ease some of that frustration on the roadways and also at the airports if weather becomes a a problem. And uh, as you mentioned, those uh, location-based push alerts become very important for travelers uh, because you may be unfamiliar with the area and may not know uh, if you even hear a warning whether it actually applies to you based on where you are. This takes uh, some of that uh, uh, uncertainty out of it. Oh, that is an excellent point. That's right, uh, because uh, many of those warnings are based upon counties or parts of counties or other type of uh, geographic indicators. People may not be familiar with them. Our technology takes care of all of that. You don't have to worry about it at all. If you, uh, Based upon your GPS location or cities you care about, we will push you warnings if they are relevant to your location. And we provide not only the most accurate weather forecasts in the world from AccuWeather, but also the quickest delivery of those potentially life-saving weather warnings. That is an excellent point. You don't have to worry about all of that detail. We take care of it. If it's relevant to you, we send it to your phone immediately for your awareness. So the bottom line, we need to stay weather aware this winter. Colder temperatures and a little bit more snow than normal. Uh, Great news. Jonathan Porter, again, uh, AccuWeather Chief Meteorologist with us this morning. Jonathan, thanks very much for the reminders. We appreciate it. Great to be with you. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A Pennsylvania woman is facing criminal charges after attacking another woman with a cold chicken at a Walmart supercenter. (laughs) Always got to love when you lead off. Uh, the uh, broken news with a story like that. A Pennsylvania woman facing criminal charges after attacking another woman with a cold chicken at a Walmart supercenter. Police say Tahani Ficus threw the poultry at 52-year-old Kimberly Pittman and struck her in the back of the head. <laughs> Must have been quite a scene. I sure hope that there is video of this somewhere. Pennsylvania State Police say it is unclear what prompted the chicken attack. Ms. Ficus has been charged with Harassment by physical contact. (laughs) Not necessarily assault. I I think assault would be a more serious charge, but uh, I think if she'd have thrown a frozen turkey, 
That would have been assault. But a chicken, eh, just uh, harassment. Uh, A couple of uh, interesting stories, Halloween sort of related, not, well, this first one is a a direct Halloween story. Police in the UK, were we're not the only ones who celebrate Halloween. Uh, In the UK, police were called in to investigate a reported kidnapping after a Halloween prank went awry. Dave Hulker, a father of two, forgot that he had left a plastic arm and leg sticking out of the back of his white van. (laughs) When, when he went to visit his his folks' house, uh, people on the road sp- spotted the white man, man with an arm and a leg sticking out and called police. Officers showed up to investigate and discovered that the limbs were only plastic Halloween decorations. But <laughs> All's well that ends well, but that would have been very embarrassing. Uh, this is uh, kind of Halloween-related. It's certainly... Uh, a bit scary. Um, actually, a couple of stories here that kind of follow in, fall into that uh, scary and weird category for the Halloween weekend. A New Jersey man did a good job of scaring off thieves at his home in Fort Lee, and he did he did it all while completely naked. Uh, footage shows Evan Wexler, age fifty six, on the porch of his home with a rifle, confronting a thief who is eyeing his car. Uh, Mr. Wexler managed to grab the weapon, uh, but somehow forgot to put his clothes on when he went out to confront the thief. (laughs) That would scare me off. That would certainly. He says uh, he's a bit embarrassed. uh, Telling reporters, quote, I'm not happy about that. You know, no one wants their behind on camera. (laughs) He uh, said his home had been targeted multiple times. Despite having security cameras on his property, uh, and he had just had enough. Local police departments say they are beefing up patrol to deter car thieves in the neighborhood. So hopefully Mr. Weckler won't have to go outside in his birthday suit again. (laughs) But that would scare me off. That's for sure. And uh, also, again, kind of a frightening thing involving an automobile. Uh, In Flagler County, Florida, sheriff's deputies got more than they bargained for when they pulled over 65-year-old Lewis Branson for an expired license plate. Uh, Driving with expired tags is never a good idea. That is especially true when you are hauling a live hand grenade, a clown mannequin, and assorted controlled substances. (laughs) Mr. Branson told deputies he found the grenade that they located in his vehicle uh, three or four years ago while cleaning out a veteran's home and decided to keep it. An explosive disposal team conducted an x-ray of the device and found that it was indeed active. It was later safely detonated at a nearby facility. Along with a grenade, deputies found a life-size clown mannequin (laughs) as well as a uh, substantial amount of cocaine, marijuana, and two pipes with suspected drug residue. All for an expired license plate. Uh, Ms. Branson's been charged with driving with an expired license, possession of drug paraphernalia, possession of a firearm, weapon, or ammo by a convicted felon, and, of course, drug counts. So, in all kinds of <laughs> trouble. <clears throat> 
You definitely got the uh, trick end of trick or treat on that one. And finally, in the broken news this morning, an Amazon driver in Florida has been fired after hosting a guest in the back of his delivery truck. (laughs) Video posted online shows a woman in a black dress slip out the back door of an Amazon truck. The driver, clearly a gentleman, holds the door open for her. (laughs) A rep for the company tells uh, news reporters, quote, this does not reflect the high standards we have for our delivery service partners and their drivers. Allowing unauthorized passengers to enter delivery vehicles is a violation of Amazon policy. I don't think she was just a passenger. I'm just just going out on a limb here. I don't think she was just, I don't think she was just there for a ride along. I think there might have been more going on. There in the back of the van, which is probably also a violation of Amazon policy. The company says the driver is no longer delivering packages for Amazon. So, there you go. (laughs) Did not end well. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. So now that the first week of the expanded high school football playoffs are in the books, it's interesting to look back at the results because going into this year's OHSAA football tournament, there was some concern and some controversy that allowing 16 teams per region would sort of dilute the stature of uh, statue of the tournament, uh, that it... Uh, would be less of an accomplishment because so many teams are getting in and it would probably lead to a lot of blowouts of lesser teams that didn't really deserve to be there in the first place. The numbers are rather interesting when you break it all down. Overall, there were 10 nine seeds that wouldn't have gotten in under the former uh, playoff structure that knocked off a number eight seed. That was the most common upset, probably not surprisingly, a number nine knocking off a, a number eight 10 times across all 28 regions in high school football. The next most common upset, interestingly, five times a number 14 knocked off a number three and a number 12 knocked off a number five, five times each. Four 13 seeds knocked off a number four. In three regions, a number six lost to a number 11. And in three regions, a number 10 beat a number seven. There was one 15 seed that beat a number two. That was in Division Three, And one 16 seed actually knocked off a number one in Division Four. Now, remember, there are seven divisions overall. Each has four regions, so a total of 28. And Week 11 had eight games played in each region for a total of 32 games in each division. In all, 19 of the 28 regions had an upset. 15 of those with an upset other than a 9 versus 8. Four regions had only a 9 versus 8 upset. Six regions had one upset, one upset 
other than a 9-8. Five regions had two upsets. Four regions had three upsets on the weekend, and no regions had four more. Every division, you break it down by division, every division had at least one upset, and all but one had multiple upsets across their regions. D6 had the most overall, eight upsets, six of which were something other than a 9-8. Division 5 had six upsets, four of which were other than a 9-8. D4 had five, three other than a 9-8. Division 2 and Division 3 each had four upsets, uh, three that were not a 9-8, and Division 1 also had four upsets, two of which were other than a 9-8. Interestingly, Division 7 had the least only one upset across its four regions, and that was a number 14 over a number 3. There were nine regions that had no upsets at all, and all of the top eight seeds won. So in total, you break it all down, there were 32 upsets out of 224 games played across all regions in all divisions for an average of about one per region. Now, you would think that the most lopsided scores would be between the 1 and the 16 or the 2 and the number 15. We didn't break down all of the scores and all of the games, but in those top seed matchups, the average score of a number 1 versus number 1 seed was 42 to 8. And there were 9 shutouts with an average of 50 to nothing. A number 1 versus number 16. The average score of a number 2 versus number 15 matchup was 44 to 10. Six shutouts, an average of 40 to nothing. So those are lopsided games, but not altogether uh, unusual for any given week in high school football. We see scores like that quite a bit. By the way, there was much made of the fact that one winless team actually made the playoffs. That was 0-10 Cincinnati Oak Hills, who played perennial powerhouse Cincinnati Moeller in Division I Region 4. The final of that game... 35-14, Moeller won. Just 35-14. By the way, we were talking about those uh, upsets in the uh, first week of the high school football playoffs uh, on Friday and uh, Saturday. One of those big upsets was the next opponent for the Findlay Trojans, Dublin Kaufman. Uh, that was one of those 14 seeds knocking off a number three. Dublin Kaufman is only 3-7 and seven going into the... Uh, uh, going into their game uh, with Huber Heights Wayne, and they won on a last-second Hail Mary that was just an incredible. If you have not, the video is out there online. If you've not seen it, uh, look it up. It is just an incredible finish in one of those games that would not even have happened under the uh, previous uh, structure of the uh, playoffs. So kind of interesting and, and worth noting. Uh, Kaufman will uh, come into uh, Donnell Stadium to host Finley High School this Friday night. Let's move on. With us in the studio uh, are Bob Weinberg and uh, <laughs> and Deb Wickerham. Uh, talk about, uh, we love our veterans. And uh, Flag City Honor Flight has a big anniversary, plus one, coming up uh, here, what, the end of this week, this weekend, right? It's Sunday. It's November 7th. Yeah. So this is the 10 plus one celebration you would have had last year had you been able to. Uh, it hardly seems possible it was in 10 years uh, for Flag City Honor Flight. Honestly, uh, I was surprised. I was thinking it's been around a lot longer than that. I guess it just uh, speaks to how ingrained this has become. Well, the last two years, it seems like it's been a long time because we've had a hard time getting off <laughs> well, the ground. That, that's true, too. That's true, <laughs> the too. the years before that went 
pretty quickly. And the, the, the person sitting next to me is the one that started all of that in, in Deb back in, in 10, in 2010. Uh, so uh, we've had some incredible experiences. Would you have guessed, Deb, that you know it would have lasted as long as it did? That you know, ten plus one years later, we're sitting here still talking about uh, you know the mission of Flag City Honor Flight. No, I would have never imagined that it would take over a thousand veterans. Yeah, sitting down in the basement of the old Elks Building. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it all started with the Elks, the Veterans Committee at the Elks. Doak Decker, who's no longer in Hancock County. But it was his idea when he was on the Veterans Committee. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are. Uh, so what is, uh, first of all, what are the what are the plans for this year? I know you've got uh, some big plans trying to make up for lost time and all of that. Well, actually, we canceled our season for 2001, so we're not flying this year. Okay. Uh, we, we were going to in September, and also, actually, uh, November 3rd was going to be our second flight, which mm-hmm. was planned. And the... Um, Delta variants of COVID just kind of swept through this part of the country, Mm -hmm. the whole nation for that matter. But it really hurt what we were doing with Honor Flight, and we decided it was best for our veterans if we didn't fly. So uh, that means uh, even more, hopefully, next year. Absolutely. We are definitely planning a a 2022 season. And in the meantime, uh, celebrating the anniversary a year late, we are going to do that this weekend. That's correct. It'll be at the Elks from uh, 1 to 4 on Sunday afternoon um, on, at Melrose. Everybody, mm-hmm. I think, in this area knows where the Elks are right. located. But yeah, And uh, that's uh, open to all? Open Give to the public. Give us all of the uh, details on this. Open to the public. All is invited. We uh, hope to have uh, veterans from way back when uh, there, as well as everyone that's participated or everyone that wants to get involved, wants yeah. to come out and see it, or, or, uh, is absolutely welcome Just to Just a great way of uh, supporting uh, Flag City Honor Flight and the continued mission, and hopefully get back uh, in the air and on the road very soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, speaking of veterans, uh, Deb, since we have you here, I want to uh, talk a little bit about this, because it's a great annual tradition that I know veterans all over the area look forward to, as do the kids at Chamberlain Hill, uh, the annual Veterans Day celebration. Yes, that will be on Veterans Day like we've always done in the past. But again, it's a little different with things going on in the world. It right. will be a drive through from one thirty to 2.30. Which is kind of the way it happened last year, right? Yes. So. This year we kind of upped it up a little bit. We're going <laughs> to give goodie bags this year. Awesome. And so they just drive through. Third grade will be first, the first 20 minutes. Fourth grade will be the second 20 minutes. And fifth grade will be the third 20 minutes. The kids will be out there waving flags, posters. Um, Mr. Nault will have his Vietnam Wall out there to mm. see. And I do hear... That some of the veterans called in to say, ask if they can bring out their vehicles. So it's getting closer to what it's used used uh, to be. Awesome! That is uh, that is terrific. And again, that is something that has been going on for how many years now? Well, at least twenty five years. We've done something at Chamberlain. Because I'm thinking, it may be to the point where some of the kids who have participated oh, we've got might parents. now be might but, now be veterans themselves. Yes, parents. <laughs> yes, parents. You know? I, I think we even had. A couple of the kids are now grandparents, and they're bringing their kids wow. through. That's so awesome. So we'll be there. And and this is something, I mean, obviously the veterans look forward to it, but as we said, the kids look forward to it uh, as well. Everybody at the school looks forward Everybody. to it. Everybody. Uh, Chamberlain Hill is a leadership in me, Lighthouse School, mm-hmm. and so every child and staff in that building will have had some part 
in preparing for the event. So it, it really is uh, an educational uh, thing as well. I mean, again, it's it's great for the veterans. It's a wonderful community event uh, for Veterans Day, but it, there's definitely an educational component. Oh, yes. It. That's yeah. always been part of it. It's been a two-way commu- communication, mm-hmm. what the kids can give to the veterans, but also what the children can learn from the veterans yeah. and learning that freedom is not free right and uh and they're having fun while they're doing all oh of my it. gosh yes they're outside they're jumping they're cheering <laughs> they're waving um we had our custodian is a veteran paul and he drives through three times so each of the grades can wave to him and everything <laughs> that's awesome uh so again that is open to uh, all veterans a- on veterans yes, day on veterans day and when are the what's the times on that again 130 to 230 okay 130 to 230 on uh, veterans day so it is happening at uh, chamberlain hill uh again this year the veterans day tribute so uh big shout out to uh, all the veterans with respect to that and bob uh with flag city uh, honor flight again uh, starting to are you starting to make the, the, the contingency plans for 2022 at this point? Or, I mean, because, again, there's still so much uncertainty. What is kind of the, the plan on that? And are you uh, still uh, looking for uh, veterans or accepting applications, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Sure. We're accepting applications for veterans and uh, guardians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to clarify a little bit, we, Flight City Honor Flight, stopped our season in September National did not, so there are honor flights that are flying this year. Okay. Uh, probably a number of honor flight hubs did not start at all this year because of COVID. We, mm-hmm. we tried to get that done and then decided it wasn't a good idea. So we're coming up with some ideas on how we will fly next year. I think we'll look a little bit different. We'll have to change a few things. Okay. But we will get in the air. Okay. And uh, more information on uh, all of that uh, is on the website and uh, more details uh, about the uh, 10 plus 1 anniversary celebration. Absolutely. And uh, we've got that linked up at our webpage as well, so folks can check that out. Again, uh, Bob Weinberg and uh, Deb Wickerham with us uh, this morning. We love our veterans. Uh, Details on the uh, Flag City Honor Flight 10 plus 1 celebration and, of course, Chamberlain Hill School's annual Veterans Day tribute. Big month for uh, veterans and a big couple of weeks coming up. Guys, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, once again, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Friendship, Understanding, and Nurturing. Camp Fun is a project aimed at helping kids who have been touched by addiction in the community, both directly and indirectly. We'll learn more. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.